Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of severe illness, violence, and alcohol addiction. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. In 2001, Peggy Ann Fulford swept into the sports world, selling herself as a financial advisor to professional athletes. In the eyes of those athletes, she was like a mother, a sister, whatever they needed her to be, really. She promised to take care of them, to invest their money and help leave a legacy behind for their children. Those promises helped her secure some very wealthy clients. But the truth was that Peggy scammed her way to the top. Like any good con woman, she knew exactly what to say to win people over. For over a decade, player after player bought her spiel. With one hand, she patted her clients' backs. With the other, she slipped their money into her own pockets. Welcome to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. History has seen its fair share of women in trouble with the law, but whether or not they were all criminals is sometimes open to interpretation. This is the show where we cover the full spectrum of women behaving badly. Today we'll meet Peggy Ann Fulford, a con woman who defrauded pro athletes out of millions of dollars. We'll learn how she wormed her way into these men's lives until she had complete control of their finances. We'll also explore her lavish lifestyle and how she refused to give it up, even when her house of cards started to crumble. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Where to begin with Peggy Ann Fulford? Well, to some degree, we're all a product of our hometowns, right? So let's start in New Orleans, which is where she was born in 1958. In all, the city has a kind of mystique about it, which feels fitting because we don't know a lot about Peggy's childhood. Surrounded by New Orleans' culture of hustle, her parents likely raised her to believe in hard, honest work. They sent her to Catholic school, probably hoping to give her a solid moral foundation for her life. But something obviously didn't take, because, well, we're covering her on female criminals. So what parts of Peggy's life influenced her later crimes? Well, in a CNBC special, Ramon Antonio Vargas argued that perhaps the New Orleans hustle had an outsized impact on the future con artist. These days, the word hustle is most often preceded by the word side, something extra that you do to bring in more money or clout, both markers of success. But in a general sense, hustle is any kind of drive to work for what you want. Someone who hustles might prioritize their career or dreams over most other things. Hustle culture is the pervasiveness of this lifestyle, and to some extent, the societal respect and admiration for it. If you work hard, you get results. End of story. That's the thought process. Growing up in a city where that kind of thinking pervades might have shaped the way Peggy saw the world. Maybe she saw people around her doing everything to build their best life and learned the wrong lesson. Not that working hard is the way to go, but that the ends justify the means. 
Again, we can't be sure what went through Peggy's mind as she grew up. This is just one theory that might explain the choices she eventually made. Something else to keep in mind when thinking about the forces that shaped Peggy is the adversity she faced from a young age. Like I mentioned before, we don't have a ton of info on Peggy's early life, but we know that tragedy struck early on. First came the death of her younger sister when she was just a baby. Then the family house caught on fire and Peggy's mom died of smoke inhalation. Peggy never spoke publicly about these losses, so we don't know how she reacted at the time, but it's likely she was rocked to her core. Before we continue with Peggy's psychology, please note that I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. According to psychiatry professors David Brent and Nadine Melhem, children who lose a parent can experience a range of reactions. On the one hand, these losses can result in serious psychiatric disorders like depression and PTSD. On the other hand, the loss doesn't always manifest in a diagnosable condition. It might simply be that the child's grief affects their schooling and socialization. In any case, these tragedies must have altered Peggy's life. Still, she managed to persevere, keeping her eyes on her goal of a bright future. She made her way through adolescence, and in 1976, she left New Orleans to attend Spelman College in Atlanta. She'd worked hard to get there, and probably thought this was her chance for a fresh start, to finally get some wins on the board. And for a time, it seemed like it was. While at college, she met a guy. They dated, fell in love, and then, when they found out Peggy was pregnant, they got married. After that, she dropped out of school to focus on her new family. Unfortunately, the marriage didn't last long. Sometime after the birth of her first child, Peggy and her husband separated. She knew she'd be okay, though. She'd survived worse. But tragedy struck again. In 1985, her ex-husband died in a plane crash. And if that weren't enough, 10 years later, Peggy's 28-year-old brother was shot to death while working at his store. The details around these incidents are as scarce as they are for the rest of Peggy's life. But one thing's for sure, that's a lot of death for a person to process. After everything she endured, it's safe to assume Peggy wanted a different life for herself, something better. Maybe she recalled the New Orleans hustle culture she was surrounded by as a child. Maybe she thought she could become someone else, someone who wasn't plagued by tragedy at every turn. And with that in mind, she set out to hustle her new life into existence. Except Peggy's understanding of hustle was less about the work and more about the flashy results. So if she didn't want to have to actually put in the effort, just how did Peggy plan to make her big change? Well, first she rewrote her story. Sometime in the 1990s, she dropped her stint at Spelman College from the narrative and started telling people she was a Harvard grad. She also said she'd made millions on Wall Street and claimed she was a certified financial advisor. Of course, these were all lies, but it didn't matter to Peggy. She was manifesting her wins. During this period of reinvention, 37-year-old Peggy met 23-year-old Travis Best, a Georgia Tech basketball star. It's not clear whether she approached him with a plan in mind or if she came up with a scheme as their friendship developed. 
Either way, Peggy saw in Travis an opportunity to get herself closer to the life she told people she already had. You see, Travis was on his way to the NBA draft as a first-round pick. That meant he could be making anywhere up to $2.5 million on his rookie-year contract. And Peggy decided she wanted some of that money. So she made herself indispensable to Travis. He needed a taxi, she arranged for a driver. He was traveling, she'd handled the flight and accommodations. She was basically his personal concierge. Before long, Travis relied on her for everything. Eventually, her version of hustle paid off, and he appointed Peggy as his financial advisor and signed over full control of his bank accounts, which she said she'd take very good care of. And from the outside, it seemed like maybe she did. She set up two accounts, one for Travis's daily spending, which he had access to, and another for investments. It seemed legit. But really, Peggy used the investment account to funnel money into her own pockets. She figured Travis was already so wealthy, he wouldn't notice if a little disappeared. But for her, it was a life-changing amount. All of a sudden, she was rich. She could leave her sad, tragic past behind her and focus all her energy on what she'd accomplished just by putting her mind to it. She was someone new. Coming up, Peggy doubles down on her investment. Hi, I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz. We're the hosts of Rituals, the new Spotify original from Parcast. If you've heard our podcast and that's what we drink, you know we are no strangers to true crime and the paranormal. We're also into the occult uh, to chat about, not to join, but, you know, to, to learn and educate. <laughs> Every Monday on Rituals, we're journeying through mystifying stories of sorcery, alchemy, Satanism, and more, and trying to determine if the dark arts of the past impact us today. Like weather witches? Who were they? Or the Fountain of Youth? Address, please. <laughs> Don't forget about werewolf trials, Em. Objection, Christine. Let's not give too much away. And instead, let's tell everyone to follow our new podcast, Rituals, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. In the 1990s, Peggy Fulford redefined her identity with some creative thinking and outright lies. Then she used her new and completely bogus reputation as a financial advisor to get into the pockets of her first mark, basketball star Travis Best. It seems that her proximity to Travis only snowballed into more access because soon after she skimmed money from his bank account, an interior designer invited her to help stage the home of an NFL player. We don't know how exactly she got in with this designer in the first place, but regardless, another mark was falling right into her lap. Before ever stepping foot in the condo, Peggy did her research. 24-year-old Ricky Williams was the most hyped rookie of the 2001 NFL season. But despite all the new celebrity and fame, he just wanted to play football. The rest he'd leave to someone else. So in that sense, Peggy fell right into his lap, too. At least, that's what he thought. 
Peggy knew the only way people would trust her to make them rich was if she seemed rich herself. So on the day of the staging, the 43-year-old grabbed her Gucci purse and her most expensive jewelry. She looked like a winner. Her outfit had the intended effect. Everyone noticed her, including Ricky. He'd never heard of Peggy before, but she seemed like someone he ought to know. Peggy lapped up the attention, but she didn't strike right away. She knew that if she wanted to build an empire, she'd have to play the long game. So over the next few months, she focused on getting closer to Ricky and his entourage. And the easiest way to do that was to cozy up with his girlfriend, 33-year-old Kristen Barnes. At first, Peggy sat with Kristen on the sidelines of Ricky's games for the New Orleans Saints, cheering him on. Pretty soon, they were shopping together and hanging out on their own without Ricky. From there, the friendship deepened. Kristen thought of Peggy as her best friend. When Kristen and Ricky fought, Peggy was the person Kristen called. When Ricky and Kristen got pregnant, Peggy threw the baby shower. When Kristen went into labor, Peggy drove her and the baby home from the hospital. They were like the sisters each other never had. Of course, Peggy worked Ricky too. After his first year in the NFL, he was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, that likely manifested in an intense, persistent fear of being watched and judged by others. But Peggy helped him through it. While she was like a sister to Kristen, she was more like a mother to Ricky. She even called him baby. As far as Ricky and Kristen were concerned, Peggy was a part of the family. Of course, everything they thought they knew about her was a lie. They had no reason to question her, though, because Peggy appeared every bit as successful as she claimed to be. That's why, once she fully gained the couple's trust, Peggy laid out her proposal. By that stage, Ricky was under a lot of pressure, and Peggy told him she could help lighten the load by handling his finances for him. She wouldn't even charge for her services. She just wanted to help him create, as she said, generational wealth. What did that mean exactly? Well, Peggy wanted to make sure Ricky's kids were set up for life. That was incredibly appealing to the running back, especially considering some harsh truths about a pro football career. According to ESPN, the average NFL career lasts just over three years. 78% of players go broke within three years of retirement, and roughly 15% file for bankruptcy within 12 years of leaving the league. If any of that was running through Ricky's mind, Peggy's offer must have sounded even more appealing. Whatever his reasons, he trusted Peggy completely, so he agreed to the setup and she got to work. She put the family on a monthly allowance, which was for them to spend as they pleased. The rest went into a separate account that Peggy managed. She said she'd use this account to pay their bills, do their taxes, and invest on their behalf. But that's not at all what she did. Peggy wasn't investing any of it. Instead, all the money from the second account was funneled straight into her own wallet. She didn't even bother to pay Ricky's taxes, which was a risky move that basically invited scrutiny. But it's like she thought she was invincible. And to be fair, that's a feeling a lot of successful con artists probably share. 
among other things. According to writer and psychologist Maria Konnikova, most con artists have one or more of the dark triad of traits, which are psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. While Peggy doesn't fall into the psychopath category, she demonstrated the other two qualities. Konnikova describes a narcissist as someone with a sense of grandiosity, entitlement, self-enhancement, an overly inflated sense of worth, and manipulativeness. Now, as it relates to a con artist, narcissism might explain why a person is willing to scam, but Machiavellianism is what gives them the means to pull it off. Konnikova says Machiavellianism is the ability to manipulate others to accomplish one's own objectives. People who score higher on the mock scale are more likely to bluff, cheat, bargain, and ingratiate themselves with others. They're also more successful at it. To be clear, Peggy was never diagnosed with narcissism or Machiavellianism, but she certainly operated with many of those characteristics. And this only served her more as she gained confidence and connections. In 2002, when Ricky was traded from the New Orleans Saints to the Miami Dolphins, his entire entourage picked up and moved with him, including Peggy. He was her biggest quote-unquote client, and she had to stay close by. She knew he opened doors she'd never otherwise have access to. She wasn't wrong. Ricky was the hottest player on the market, which also made him the most popular party invite in town. He went to every dinner and club outing. But Ricky still dealt with social anxiety disorder. Thankfully, he had Peggy to lean on. She had no problem attending events with him and doing most of the talking. She made it seem like she was doing it as a favor, but in reality, she was thinking only of herself. At Ricky's side, Peggy had access to an exclusive inner circle of pro athletes. Through those connections, she created a sort of word-of-mouth advertising campaign. Ricky spoke fondly of her, and his endorsement was worth a lot. According to the 2015 Nielsen Global Trust in Advertising report, 83% of people trust the recommendations of friends and family. In this case, Ricky was the spokesman for a very specific product, Peggy. That's how she secured leads for new clients. Travis and Ricky were a good start for her con, but she could only steal so much from them. Like any good businesswoman, she knew she needed to diversify. So while Peggy enjoyed her glamorous life in Florida, she kept an eye out for her next mark. In 2005, about three years after moving to Miami, she found the perfect person. 21-year-old Rashad McCants was in the city to celebrate his college team's NCAA basketball championship win. He'd also been drafted to the Minnesota Timberwolves in a rookie deal worth $1.5 million. We don't know how exactly 47-year-old Peggy approached Rashad or how quickly the conversation turned to money, but we do know how Rashad felt about the whole thing. Unlike others who described Peggy in motherly or sisterly terms, Rashad saw a different side of her. She could flip the switch and become a seductive older woman if she needed to, which is how Rashad fell under her spell. He listened as Peggy bragged about her pro-athlete clients. 
He leaned in closer as she waxed on about making him a rich man. By the time she handed him a business card that promised generational wealth and their fingers brushed, Rashad was enamored. Still, Peggy took it a step further to really seal the deal. She brazenly claimed she wanted to prevent her athletes from getting scammed, saying that she genuinely cared about their futures. That's why she wouldn't charge for her services. By using this tactic, Peggy was playing on very real fears. According to a 2021 study by Ernst & Young, from 2004 to 2019, professional athletes alleged almost $600 million in fraud-related losses. That's a lot of money. But what's even worse? That number is based on only 35 cases. There's undoubtedly a whole lot more scamming that goes unreported or perhaps even unnoticed. But at the time, her proposition sounded good to Rashad. He enlisted her to manage his investment portfolio, gave her power of attorney, and she went about setting up the new accounts. He probably didn't think much about it, but later that fall, Rashad's team sent him out on a rookie run to pick up donuts. But when he went to pay, his card was declined. Rashad couldn't make sense of it. He'd just deposited a six-figure paycheck. Confused, he called his agent to see what was going on. And after a quick check, his rep confirmed the worst. His bank account was empty. Rashad frantically called Peggy, but she didn't answer his call, or the one after that, or any of the others that followed. No emails, no texts. She ghosted him, allegedly making off with tens of thousands in the process. It was a risky move. She could have been caught right then and there, but perhaps she didn't think so. It's possible she knew how to read her marks pretty well because Rashad, he let it go. Whether out of embarrassment or because he just didn't want to deal with it, he didn't press charges. He simply severed ties with Peggy, focused on his game, and chalked the whole thing up as a very expensive lesson. But even without Rashad making a fuss, Peggy was starting to look suspicious. Over the next few years, her wealth only increased, and she made sure everyone knew she was a winner. She got herself a five-bedroom waterfront mansion in Florida and decked out her home office with sports memorabilia. Outside the palatial home, she kept a fleet of cars that included multiple Mercedes-Benzes, a Porsche, a Maserati, a Bentley, and a Rolls-Royce Ghost. It wasn't just the material stuff either. Peggy loved her status as a playmaker within the sports world. She seemingly had access to whoever she wanted. She went to NBA and NFL games and chatted with the players on the bench. She attended after parties and hung out backstage at The Tonight Show. But Peggy's lies were snowballing. She claimed, falsely, that she dated two-time Super Bowl champion Ray Crockett. She also built out a fake client list that included the actor Cuba Gooding Jr. And here's where we can see just how confident Peggy was by now. These lies would have been so easy to disprove, but she figured no one would ever think to fact check her, and she wasn't wrong, which left her free to find another mark. So as the turn of the decade approached, Peggy set her sights on even bigger prey. 
one of the most successful and wealthy NBA stars of all time, Dennis Rodman. For those less familiar with the NBA, Dennis Rodman is a legend. His prolific career netted him five championship rings. But just like Peggy's earlier victims, he was also vulnerable to her cons. While her other marks were young and perhaps more naive, Rodman struggled with alcohol addiction and relied heavily on his friends and former teammates for support. That made it easy for Peggy when she met the basketball legend in Miami. She slipped right into his life and offered the emotional support he needed. She also promised to deal with the everyday logistics of his life so he wouldn't have to. Rodman leaned into her, depended on her. They grew so close that he knew the code to her back door. That was what Peggy was best at, getting her clients to trust her like family. And that relationship was on full display in August of 2011, when Rodman and his entourage traveled to Springfield, Missouri for his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Perhaps Peggy knew she'd get her moment in the spotlight too, because she arrived at the hotel ready for action. She stepped into the Marriott lobby dressed to turn heads. Her flashy all-white ensemble included a floor-length fur coat, high heels, diamond earrings, and two carts full of Louis Vuitton luggage. As the home of the NBA Hall of Fame, Springfield had seen its share of over-the-top athletes rolling into town. But Peggy wasn't an athlete. She was supposedly a financial advisor. People were shocked at her display of wealth. What was even more remarkable was how beholden Rodman seemed to be to her. That night as he entered the auditorium for his ceremony, Rodman made his way down the aisle and stopped to give her a kiss. It was quick and casual, the kind of affection you show to someone you know really well. Then during his acceptance speech, Peggy was one of the first people he thanked. From the audience, Peggy beamed. She was truly at the top now. But it can get pretty precarious that high up. And there's always a chance you'll fall. Coming up, Peggy's lies finally catch up with her. Now back to the story. At the end of the 2000s, 50-year-old Peggy Fulford was on top of the world. Her scamming had gotten her millions, and she was in with world-famous athletes. But she'd been reckless with her lies, and the jig couldn't last forever. The beginning of the end came with a careless mistake. Her client, Travis Best, had been playing basketball overseas, but when he returned to the U.S., he was welcomed by a letter from the IRS. Apparently, he hadn't paid his taxes for years. Travis was confused because he'd wired Peggy the money to do exactly that. So he confronted Peggy about the letter, and she promised she'd handle it. But his suspicions were raised now, and soon he wouldn't be the only one. Even as Travis got wind that something wasn't right, Peggy was still on the prowl. And in October of 2012, she found her next victim. She met Rebecca Hill at a birthday party. Rebecca was the wife of NFL player Lex Hilliard, a running back who'd played for the Dolphins with Ricky Williams. 
Whether she went in with her sights set on Rebecca is hard to say, but Peggy struck up a conversation with her. As conversations usually go, Peggy talked about her job as a financial manager, which piqued Rebecca's interest. She and Lex were having money problems. Apparently, they'd been swindled by family members, and their savings had taken a hit. Peggy's expertise sounded like just what they needed. Bingo. Smiling widely, Peggy offered to help Rebecca and Lex rebuild their wealth for future generations, and she'd do it free of charge. Like so many before them, the Hilliards signed on to Peggy's plan. They felt nothing but relief. Finally, someone was there who could help them. At first, Peggy made good on her promises. While setting up the usual two-account system, one for the couple's living expenses and one for investing, Peggy also loaned the Hilliards $10,000 interest-free. It was her way of ingratiating herself into the family. Then, in 2013, she turned on them. Unbeknownst to the Hilliards, she wired $200,000 from their account in Montana to purchase a half-acre lot in downtown Houston in her name. It was a pretty big move to make, but like before, no one seemed to notice at the time. Still, Peggy was maybe not quite as on top of things as she'd once been. Perhaps she was juggling too many clients, or she was distracted by her extravagant lifestyle. Either way, clients started calling with issues. From Miami, Dennis Rodman complained that the electricity was cut off in his condo. The bills hadn't been paid, which was something Peggy was supposed to handle. On top of that, Rodman got wind that his $5 million life insurance policy was about to lapse because Peggy hadn't paid the premium. When he confronted her, she said that his excessive spending habits made it hard for her to pay all his bills. Still, she assured him that she could figure it out and the check would be in the mail. Over in Houston, Ricky and Kristen Williams were also having problems. Despite Ricky being worth millions, a day came when Kristen found herself at a checkout counter, unable to afford groceries because her card kept getting declined. There was no money in her checking account. She alerted Peggy, who reassured her everything was fine. But eventually, Kristen and Ricky couldn't ignore the red flags any longer. In October of 2013, they received a letter from the IRS informing them they owed $377,000 in unpaid taxes. The couple was shocked. Their denial started to dissolve. Then, Kristen received a phone call from none other than Rebecca Hilliard. Remember the two women's husbands used to play for the same team? It's unclear exactly why Rebecca called. Maybe she wanted to catch up with an old pal, or maybe she wanted to vent about her own money problems. Regardless, the timing of the call was perfect. Well, not for Peggy. She'd messed with the wrong women. During their conversation, Rebecca and Kristen realized they were having similar financial issues. They also knew they had something else in common, Peggy. That was enough for Kristen. She started digging. She called the bank where she and Ricky's money was supposedly kept, and what she learned brought everything to a crashing halt. There was no account in their name. It never existed. 
Devastated, Kristen and Ricky confronted Peggy. They wanted to hear what she had to say for herself. But they never found out. They tried and tried to get in contact with her to no avail. Peggy ghosted them, just like she'd done to Rashad McCants. Seeing no other option, the couple filed a civil suit against Peggy in 2013. The FBI weren't far behind them. Special Agent Jim Hawkins specialized in fraud, and when the Williams civil suit came across his desk, he figured it was a one-and-done slam dunk. He had no idea how big of an investigation he was really getting into. They started with the bank accounts they knew about. Pretty quickly, it became evident that Peggy was moving around money constantly. The investigators couldn't determine any rhyme or reason to it, but the reasoning didn't matter as much as the hard facts. Eventually, they were able to outline an overall pattern. Peggy would transfer funds from one account to another, then funnel it all into shell corporations that were in various clients' names. This last part offered more leads to chase. Several of Peggy's corporations were in Dennis Rodman's name. Of course, when Agent Hawkins called Rodman, he learned the former pro athlete had no idea the corporations existed. Like the Williamses before him, Rodman was hesitant to blame Peggy at first, but soon he couldn't deny the proof right in front of him. The unpaid bills, the life insurance premiums. Peggy was responsible for all of it. She was stealing his money. Soon after that, in April of 2015, Rodman's lawyer sent Peggy a letter terminating her relationship with the former basketball player. In it, he accused Peggy of committing fraud and lying about her credentials. He wrote, You claim to have a graduate degree from Harvard, but it is more like your resume could be a study in fictional writing. Somehow, the letter leaked to TMZ. The coverage wasn't kind to Peggy, who tried to defend herself to the public. She insisted they'd gotten it all wrong and denied ever claiming she went to Harvard. She called Rodman a drunk and said he was ruining a good relationship for no reason. But it was too late. The damage was done. Peggy started losing her grip on her clients, as well as the life she'd created using their money. Rodman's letter made her an outcast in the sports world. So with nowhere else to go, she tucked her tail between her legs and went back to New Orleans. Even though she hadn't been arrested yet, she had been publicly outed. So you'd think Peggy would lay low, but the reset didn't change her ways. She was bound to her life of scamming or at the very least, the life that scamming afforded her. She was happy to keep on keeping on. Of course, Peggy wasn't the first criminal to return to crime after getting caught. According to nonprofit outlet The Marshall Project, the single best indicator of whether an ex-offender will become a re-offender is the length and seriousness of their rap sheet. As far as we can tell, Peggy had been scamming people for at least 15 years, so it's not surprising what she did next. While in Louisiana, she fixated on a local doctor as her next mark. She told him she'd found a property he could convert into a retirement home. All he had to do was invest. She must have been very convincing, because the doctor wrote her a check for $197,000. 
it seems he didn't bother doing any kind of due diligence. If he had, he might have realized that the property wasn't even for sale. Luckily, before Peggy could cash the check, three FBI agents showed up at her door. On a cold December day in 2016, Special Agent Hawkins told Peggy that a federal grand jury had indicted her on charges of mail fraud, wire fraud, money laundering, and interstate transportation of stolen property. Obviously, Peggy denied everything. Even as Hawkins laid out the evidence, she refused to admit any wrongdoing. She was determined to talk her way out of this. But it's hard to argue with an arrest warrant. As Peggy was handcuffed and led out of her apartment, Hawkins caught sight of something on the table. It was the doctor's check for $197,000. He couldn't believe it. They'd caught her right in the middle of another con. If they'd showed up even a day later, that money would have likely been gone forever. Instead, the doctor got his money back and Peggy went to jail, which must have been a bit of a shock after her years of luxury. On February 1st, 2018, over a year after her initial arrest, 60-year-old Peggy finally agreed to a plea deal. Despite her numerous charges, she only pled guilty to one count of interstate transportation of stolen property. That was for the money she stole from the Hilliards for the Houston property. In exchange, she was released on bond and placed under probation while she awaited sentencing. How did Peggy spend that time? Formulating another scam. This time, she targeted a New Orleans-based engineer named Ray Thompson. He'd lost everything in Hurricane Katrina and had been slowly rebuilding his life. So when Peggy pitched him her spiel about generational wealth, it seemed too good to be true, which, of course, it was. Thompson gave Peggy $25,000 for her to invest on his behalf. But when she took it and ran, Thompson realized he'd made a mistake. Wanting to be sure, he Googled Peggy. One of the first hits was the mugshot from her arrest. Once the shock wore off, Thompson called the authorities, who were stunned. It seemed Peggy had sealed her fate. Peggy was picked up and kept behind bars while awaiting her sentencing. Authorities weren't keen on giving her another chance to scam someone. In court, Peggy gave a statement, one of the rare occasions she spoke about her crimes. She said she regretted what she'd done, but that she hadn't acted maliciously. One lie had simply spiraled into another until she couldn't stop. The judge didn't buy her remorse, though. After all, she'd just gone out and conned another man. Peggy got the maximum sentence of 10 years. She was also ordered to pay restitution to four of her victims, $3 million to Ricky Williams, $1.2 million to Dennis Rodman, $1.3 million to Travis Best, and $132,000 to Lex Hilliard. Unfortunately, Peggy didn't have the money to pay the players back. She'd spent all of it while fronting success. So while the restitution order was a nice thought, the damage was done. After the trial, Ricky and Kristen managed to get back about $1.5 million, but they got it from the IRS, not Peggy. 
Rodman filed his own lawsuit against Peggy in 2019. For all the athletes, the worst part was the humiliation and betrayal they felt from someone they'd all considered family. Sometimes it's hard to feel bad for wealthy people who are scammed. We assume they'll make their money back again, no harm, no foul. But while professional athletes may make a lot of money, the window for doing so is often small. If they get ripped off at the end of their career, there's no time to recoup that income. Peggy pledged to create generational wealth, but she did the exact opposite. She stole straight from the people who'd worked hard to build themselves up. They'd hustled for years, and something in Peggy made her think she deserved all the rewards. There's only one word for people like that. Loser. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Peggy Ann Fulford, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Sports Illustrated article, The Peggy Show, by Alex Pruitt, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns, with writing assistance by Sarah Batchelor and Joel Callen. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Werewolves, witches, and Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh my! Sounds like fascinating topics to discuss on our new show, Rituals, Christine. You know what, Em? It sure does. Every Monday on Rituals, join us as we explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. If you've heard our podcast and that's why we drink, this is the perfect pairing for you. And if you haven't, go give us a try. Follow our Spotify original from Parcast, Rituals. Listen free only on Spotify.